0: RNZ National, and it's time now for our midweek look at the media with Midweek Media Watch and Hayden Donnell. Kia ora, Karen. Right, let's start with Facebook. It's on everyone's lips at the moment, whether they want it to be or not. Uh, Over the last week, the chief executive, Mark Zuckerberg, has moved to ban the conspiracy theory QAnon and Holocaust denial from the platform. This is quite a big change of direction for him,
1: isn't it? Yes, of course it is. It's been multiple years of changes of direction for Mark Zuckerberg. So this is the most recent one. He did famously tell a journalist in 2018 that he wouldn't take down Holocaust denial posts or remove the professional misinformation peddlers' info wars from the platform because he thought that would go against the company's policy of giving people a voice. And he's slowly retreated from that stance over the years, as giving people a voice has led to genocide in Myanmar, mass shootings like the one in Christchurch, democratic upheaval, and world-spanning conspiracy theories like QAnon.
0: Well, so has this change happened too late as well?
1: Yeah, as always with Facebook, it's changing after the immeasurable world-altering damage has already been done after the horse has already bolted from the barn and gone into a neighbouring state. This is the thing with a platform with 3 billion people on it. You can do a lot of damage in a short amount of time before you can change things. Uh, But that's no real excuse. Uh, Wired has described Facebook's whole existence as a 14-year apology tour. For Mark Zuckerberg. You might remember that it actually started with him trying to compare the looks of his uh, female classmates in Harvard. So this is how it started, and he's just been apologising since then. Did
0: you say Wired?
1: Wired is actually a, a website, so that Wired uh, com described it as a 14-year apology tour. He, he hasn't actually said sorry in announcing this change uh, to ban QAnon and Holocaust denial, but he does again, have a lot to be sorry for. The policy on Holocaust denial was changed in response to evidence of rising anti-Semitic attacks across the world. Now, Mark Zuckerberg didn't make the link there between that rise in anti-Semitic attacks and the fire hose of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories which have promulgated every nook and cranny of Facebook. Uh, But maybe that's implied in the decision to take... Down Holocaust denial from Facebook, uh, and there's also concerns QAnon's the other thing that he's taken down. There's recent research uh, that was quoted in Vice actually, but it's, it's 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 from Tufts University, and it showed that 20% of Americans believe at least one of the four conspiracy theories that have spun off from QAnon, the four major ones. There's multiple.
0: Well, why didn't it all happen earlier?
1: Dumb <laughs> question. Why didn't they ban it earlier? No, it's not a dumb question because this is the presence of misinformation, disinformation, uh, damaging stuff, white supremacy across. That's it's a problem across all of these social media platforms, and it's often defended by these utopian tech people It's just kind of free speech at work. And we have to. We're not arbiters of free speech. Now, the New Yorker, uh, one of their writers, Andrew Morantz, he's written an article saying that Facebook's concern was never managing the problem of dangerous content, but rather to manage the public's perception of the problem. So that's why it might be slow, because it's actually not responding to the problem. It's responding to uh, looking bad, or in some cases it's responding to the potential for political... Regulation. So, for instance, it's constantly bent its hate speech policies when it's come to quite prominent right-wing accounts like Tommy Robinson's, for instance, in the UK. And it's done that in an effort, it seems, not to anger right-wing commentators and politicians in particular that have accused it of bias against the right, despite the fact that right-wing content is by far and away the most popular stuff on the platform. I think the problem might be deeper, though, because this content is really baked in the whole way that Facebook and all of these social media companies operate. And they're not just they're not Mark Zuckerberg's not out there saying, hey, give me some more white supremacist content, give me some more conspiracies, give me some more Holocaust denial. But he's doing the next worst thing. And that is having an algorithm that prioritizes engagement above all other things like value and truth. And few things in this world are as engaging as fear and tribalism. And the content that does best on YouTube, on Facebook, in particular, is the stuff that keeps people engaged the longest. And it's often inflammatory, it's divisive, it's racist. And when that draws people in, the algorithm recommends more of it. And people fall down rabbit holes, and that's by design so actually i saw a clip today it was retweeted by the new york times writer kevin roose who's excellent on this stuff but it's a joke clip from tiktok and it's actually a good summary of how this algorithmic process works on youtube wow what a funny skyrim video i sure do love consuming gaming content on youtube hey who are you saw dude i'm the youtube recommendation algorithm you should check out the next video, Epic Liptard Compilation, Feminist React Number 3. I don't see why that's relevant at all, but I'll check it out anyway. Oh yeah, this is awesome! Wait, hey, who are you? I'm your limited worldview, and your underdeveloped brain. Say, do you think all feminists are like the ones you see in this small sample size? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm gonna resist positive social change for a very long time. <laughs> so that great. that was the TikTok user, uh sloppy dunker, series of numerals after that. Now that's describing how a middle schooler's uh brain might be corrupted by the YouTube algorithm, but I thought it was very good. Uh Kevin Roos, the New York Times writer, actually endorsed that. He said he's researched how YouTube algorithms send people down rabbit holes for a year and this TikTok just uh Summarised it in 40 seconds.
0: So, Hayden, will the Facebook QAnon ban be in any way effective?
1: In a way, I think it is a positive step. Apparently it was pretty chaotic on Facebook for a while, and some of the most prominent QAnon groups were going pretty quickly. But there's also doubts about exactly how effective it will be, because QAnon followers have been expecting this for some time. There's been pretty blanket media coverage about the damage that QAnon is doing, and they've made made moves to disguise their language. And there's also other platforms that are, you know, open, openly welcoming QAnon people. Like, you know, uh, I won't say their names, but there's platforms that uh, are more open to what they call free speech, but is actually probably disinformation and hate speech.
0: What about other platforms following Facebook's lead? Are they likely to
1: Banning QAnon? So other platforms, TikTok, the big one, the one that we just heard from, that has already banned QAnon. But Media Matters has done an investigation showing that actually, despite it being banned under the disinformation policy, it's already just spreading wildly (laughs) across the platform. You know, what they do is they ban hashtags. Those hashtags might change by letter or number and they'll just start up again. So these people are able to keep spreading their ideas pretty easily on TikTok. Uh, it's It's apparently taking steps to try and ban it uh now youtube is a different story it's president uh susan wachiski she has refused to say whether her platform will ban qanon uh now that is pretty concerning because youtube is probably the primary has been the primary rabbit hole for some of these um uh, pretty dangerous radicals uh now the Christchurch shooter for instance he uh Subscribed to a conspiracy theory that was promoted by the far right YouTube star Lauren Southern, among others, it sends people down some pretty scary rabbit holes. So yeah, it would be great if it would actually follow Facebook's lead in this particular area
0: but QAnon it's a global problem and it's starting to seep into life here in this country Stuff recently
1: did a doco on our most prominent QAnon believer that's right so Billy Takahika now he was recently the subject of a documentary by Stuff Circuit team that's led by Paula Penfold and it's called False Prophet Profit with an F, and it uh, is it's a forty-five minute documentary, so it's a bit of a listen and a and a watch. But it's actually pretty. Uh, it's a very deep dive into Billy Takahika, who is our most prominent and very actually he's developed quite a following, and he's a confessed Q non-believer. So, what does this doco show? Uh, the main accusations are that uh, Billy Takahika he has made much ado about his military record. It says that he exaggerated that. It says that he told fibs about why he was dismissed from the police force. Uh, It's people who have worked with him in the music industry. He's a blues musician. They say that he was verbally abusive and that he failed to pay them. Uh, He's also accused of indulging in some anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and concerningly of groping a woman uh, while drunk. It's a pretty detailed accusation. Paula Penfold says in the documentary. It's backed up by... Seemingly dozens of other interviews. A lot of people wouldn't appear on camera. They're worried about Billy Takahika's followers coming after them. But it just all adds up to a picture of a guy who kind of seems like a grifter who's practiced some pretty questionable personal behavior.
0: I've only come across him once and uh, very briefly, well, in the music industry, just he did, uh, he was on a, a music video I directed for Moana and the Moa Hunters. Oh, okay. And he did the guitar solo in the middle.
1: He's a very good guitarist. It's uh, just about everything else that seems to be the problem.
0: So was it worthwhile then, the documentary?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was, but there is a little bit of debate about this, and it's been put to Paula Penfold and the Stuff Circuit team. So yeah this this was this a worthwhile effort the herald's Matt nipper asked that question saying you know while it's good that we're alert to disinformation is it actually counterproductive for us to focus so heavily on a party advanced NZ that's actually been polling around one percent in most polls and the documentary's host paula penfold has defended the decision to focus on Takahika, saying that even though they're Polling poorly, that's not necessarily his ultimate goal. He actually has a goal of being bigger than just politics. And also she points to the number of views that he's gotten recently. This is, maybe it's not registering politically, but it's registering somewhere on the internet in places like Facebook and YouTube that we've just discussed. So this is Paula Penfold talking to Emile Donovan of The Detail. He has had
0: nearly four million video views over the past two months. People are watching, hearing, listening to his messages, and some of those messages are wrong and have been debunked, the claims that he makes about coronavirus for one thing. And so when somebody has that much traction, we think it's a useful investment of our time to have a look at the messenger as opposed to the messages. Yeah, fair enough.
1: Yeah. So it's a 45-minute documentary. It's worth your time. If you if you can spare it, go to stuff.co.nz. Look for False Profit with an F.
0: And then the 4 million views, you, you don't know whether, I guess you could if you were doing some super sleuthing, whether they're from here or around the planet.
1: Yeah, exactly. How And how much of them are ghosts and how much of them are people that click for three seconds on Facebook and don't stay for much longer? That's in the last two months that I think Paula Penfold said. Uh, So that's that's still a lot no matter which way you slice it And I think that actually even if his following isn't huge By national standards it speaks to their passion And uh, their fervour for his message
0: So is there any media coverage that you haven't been so happy with?
1: A little bit, a little bit So back to the New Zealand election campaign I've spoken a lot about uh, some of my gripes uh, with journalistic practice, stuff like both sides journalism, stenography journalism, and uh, particularly something that I call the view from nowhere uh, type of journalism, which is where journalists adopt a neutral tone, and they quote sort of one side of the issue and the other side of the issue, and they don't make any uh, judgments as to the truth of the different sides speaking. They may not know whether it's true or not. Sometimes not, but sometimes truth claims are just verifiable. Sometimes people are less believable and less credible... Than others, and actually, it's a journalist it's job. It's a to, journalist duty to, to know. To know, yes. I, I, you've got the rant by now. It's all off my heart. But anyway, I've often spoken about this in the context of U.S. politics and stuff like the New York Times and all their coverage of Donald Trump, because that's where it's particularly bad. But I thought I'd try and apply it a little bit to the New Zealand election race. And the first little bit of content that. Up front, I want to say this is not none of this is world-ending stuff. It's not horrible mistakes or anything, but I just want to highlight some stuff. So the first story that came up is from News, News Hub, and it published a story with the headline uh, National MP Alfred Nardor has been accused of spreading a gross piece of misinformation on Facebook. And that is about Ngaro saying that his 2 opponent, Phil Twyford, wanted to decriminalise all drugs and allow full-term abortions and abortions based on gender and disability. Now, the News Hub's story there was actually really good. It laid out everything that was wrong with uh, Ngaro's statement, I take issue with the headline. So, you know, accused of spreading a gross piece of misinformation. Now, he's been accused of that, because he actually did spread a gross piece of misinformation. That's not really in dispute, and that's been fact-checked by other journalists. Michelle Duff at Stuff uh, fact-checked the post on Facebook and called it essentially... No, not essentially. She called it political nonsense. Abortions after 20 weeks are highly uncommon. They need to be approved by a medical professional. (laughs) Tragically, abortions late and at the very end of a pregnancy are often... Doctors say that they are consistently much-wanted babies and are often aborted for the health reasons of the mother, to save the mother. So this is, I mean, it's pretty offensive stuff, and actually it was misinformation. Don't leave wiggle room in this case. Just say... Does she a piece of misinformation?
0: Yes, I see. And uh, when I uh, questioned that, well, not question, when I made that comment before about a journalist should know this stuff, uh, much easier when you're doing um, uh, print or you're online, where you can go away and then fact-check it. A lot harder when it's immediate, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. You know, when
0: you're on the radio or on television.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm talking about written journalism here. It is, it is much harder, and that's why debate format, for instance, is so hard to fact-check and why it's quite problematic for a politician like Donald Trump that's so prone to spreading misinformation. Uh, It's so hard to fact-check him in a debate format. Uh, And the U.S. has been grappling with this for some time and actually does employ professional fact-checkers to fact-check just about every speech that Donald Trump gives now. We're not at that stage, obviously.
0: Any, Any other quibbles?
1: Yeah, so I'll actually go home to RNZ here. Now, they put out a story, I think it was in early October, and it was just headlined, National Claims $10 Billion Hole in Labor's Economic Plan. Now, this story details just it just what it calls claims and counterclaims regarding fiscal holes in the party's plans. And Nationals Paul Goldsmith claims that Labor had failed to account for the ten billion it needs for light rail in Auckland and four billion for pumped hydro. What's wrong with that?
0: <laughs> I know the answer actually, but carry on. No.
1: I'm sorry that these are all national. I think that's probably probably the way this campaign is going there's probably a few more haymakers been thrown by National than uh, the other side at the moment which has mostly tried to stay mum and just not actually uh, say much. But the issue is that claims about fiscal holes are verifiable. They're factual, they're numbers and Thomas Coglin of Stuff has done really great work exposing where fiscal holes are and he actually really explains it and uh, for for the readers and there are truth claims to be made here. He says that National's figures they do contain a couple of fiscal holes uh, paul goldsmith's allegation of a fiscal hole and this is fact checked by Thomas Coglin again is not really true now there is money set aside for light rail in the national land transport fund, and labour's only committed to a business case for pumped hydro basically. Their figures add up, even though there are questions about how they will pay for both these things, and those are legitimate questions, but the claim fiscal hole is not true. Now, that's just not there in the story. It's got Grant Robertson saying no fiscal hole, Jas- Jacinda Ardern saying no fiscal hole, but actually maybe the story, instead of saying both sides are saying counter, uh, making claims and counterclaims, actually there is a truth claim to be made here.
0: So maybe the it would be the headline would be Nationals claim of 10 billion hold and Labour's economic plan denied.
1: Yeah <laughs> or something maybe, like that. maybe something like that. I think it's the language of claim and counterclaim. Yes. And just staying above it and not making a judgement.
0: All right. Uh, Hayden, thank you very much. It's a very very interesting subject and we could talk for hours it seems. So thanks and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks.
1: Thanks so much, Karen.